It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast on the Houston Rockets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team. Every day. Seven teams. That's now the longest winning streak in the NBA for your Houston Rockets. Now 51 and 13 on the year, winners of 17 consecutive games, following an enormous victory in Milwaukee on Wednesday night, night two of a road back-to-back, but as usual, it doesn't matter for these Rockets. On that positive note, welcome in everyone to Lockdown Rockets, your home for daily and post-game commentary on your Houston Rockets. I'm your host, Ben DuBose, Rockets correspondent with Sports Talk 790, the team's official flagship. In our usual three points recap, we'll talk about the defense, which in my opinion was the leading storyline tonight. We'll also talk about James Harden, who led the way in scoring 26 points for the Rockets tonight. Night Hoover rode back-to-back. Did see some tired legs late from him. And we'll also talk about Eric Gordon, who off the bench these last four games since his return has been something else for the Rockets. But before we get into any individuals, James and Eric included, I want to talk about the defense. I want to discuss the team resolve. Because, folks, when you win a game like this, Night Hoover rode back-to-back, excuse me, in Milwaukee against a Bucks team that 34-31, and 31, slightly underachieving, but led by Giannis, the Greek freak, still playoff bound and has a ton of talent rested at home for the Rockets. Night to a row back-to-back, got into Milwaukee after 1 a.m. to be able to summon that level of effort. That's pretty special. And they did it just as they did in Oklahoma City with the effort they expended in the first half. Milwaukee scored just 46 points in the first half of that game. The Rockets had 58, punctuated by a buzzer beater from James Harden, and the streak continues. The Rockets have only lost one game all year long in which they have allowed fewer than 50 points in the first half. They did it in both of these games on the road trip to Oklahoma City and Milwaukee, and not surprisingly, they got wins on both ends of it, the latter, of course, by the 110-99 to final in Milwaukee on Wednesday night. And because of the Bucks not going into the foul at hack-everyone hack strategy that the Thunder did on, Wednesday, on Tuesday night, 
the Rockets actually held Milwaukee below triple figures, and the Rockets got their, of course, their deserved result was 17 in a row, but I would say the defensive results stood up as well, because Milwaukee, it's a high-scoring team, there's a lot of talent, and the Rockets, they grinded them, the Bucks never got it to as close as one possession in the second half, and that's the most important thing in this setting. Night two of a road back-to-back, where you're probably going to see the legs start to get you, is in the second half. And boy, did they. The Rockets scored their fewest points in the game in the fourth quarter, 23 points. And a couple of those came at the end when the Bucs had no choice but to foul in the final minute. You saw a lot of short rim shots in the the fourth quarter. The effort seemed to lag a little bit. But because the Rockets were playing from in front, it ultimately didn't matter. And that's the biggest thing in a situation like this, just as it was in Utah when the Rockets were able to get control in the third quarter. You would like to get control a little earlier than they did in Utah last week. Can you get the lead going to the fourth quarter so that you're playing in front rather than from in behind so that your minutes are not as taxing, so that you're able to save some energy by virtue of playing the clock and also saving your legs a little bit? That's what the Rockets were able to do. It started with the defense. And one of the things that really amazes me, I've discussed the minutes, Trevor Ariza, Another positive night for him. Now, he did miss his four threes, but four of nine overall. He showed a lot of springs on his way to the bucket, had nine points, plus 11. P.J. Tucker, in his 34 minutes, nine points, three of three from behind the arc, six rebounds, 18 best, plus 21 in his 34 minutes. No one played more than 36 minutes, and even James Harden did not play more than 35 So even with a very limited rotation, you still didn't have Joe Johnson, Ryan Anderson, or Brandon Wright back. It never made sense on night two of a road back-to-back to to put them on a long plane flight and put them in in this scenario. And with Dene being 35 years old, you're certainly not going to play him on the back end of a road back-to-back, especially with Toronto looming on Friday, probably the only game the rest of the regular season that the Rockets will be underdogs. So essentially, your usual nine-man rotation was down to about eight and a half tonight. They played Tarek Black, but just for eight minutes. There's not really the same trust in Tarek Black that there is for Nene, Brandon Wright, whoever your normal backup center is, and I think it's understandable as to why. But the Rockets are deep enough because off that bench, you can trust Eric Gordon to play 33 minutes, Luke Bamute 30, and even on night two of a road back-to-back, you're not asking anyone to play 40-plus minutes or even upper 30s, the types that might tax them both in terms of potential injury risk, and also shooting efficiency and defensive effort. And certainly Trevor and PJ, their big storylines, Luke off the bench, 11 points, 4 of 6 shooting, 50% from behind the arc. Those three are who you think of defensively, but give some credit to James Harden as well. Four steals in the block tonight, including a couple of very big ones in the fourth quarter. That's after four steals in the block last night as well. That's two nights in a row that James Harden combined over those two games, eight steals and two blocks. Going into this game, James Harden was sixth in the NBA in steals per game. He might be top five after tonight. We'll have to see what the numbers are after everyone's games finish. But that's why I objected so much to the characterizations of James Harden last night with the 10 turnovers, some saying he was disengaged. Maybe he was a little frustrated offensively, but we have seen disengaged James Harden in the past. That was not disengaged James Harden. He was still making a difference defensively. He was dialed in, and folks, the Rockets had a comfortable lead, and so you have to put everything on an asterisk if you're up by as much as the Rockets were in Oklahoma City. Well, tonight, it was easy for James in the first half. He had 21 points at the break, 7 of 12 shooting, ended up making just 1 of 8 field goals in the second half, 26 points, only 5 points in the second half, 
and a lot were front-rimmed. As we said, you can see the legs starting to wear on him a little bit. He's the only player that had to play 35-plus minutes on both ends of the back-to-back. Well, folks, defense is the one thing that is within your control. Now, certainly there can be some bit of a toll on your effort level, but if you are engaged, if you have the will, you can often push through that in a way offensively, even if you try and push through, well, folks, if your shots are short, your shots are short. Whereas defense, if you have the will to push through, especially have the instincts that James Harden does, I said before, he might be one of the best two or three free safeties in basketball with how he anticipates, you can still make a big difference. And that's how James, even shooting just one of eight from the field in the second half for just five points, was still a positive difference maker down the stretch. And overall, still a good game for James. 26 points, six assists, five rebounds. We'll touch on him in the second segment. But it's those defensive plays. Again, eight steals and two blocks over the last two nights. Road wins at Oklahoma City, at Milwaukee. Two winning, likely playoff-bound teams. Folks, that's what MVPs do. He is not just an offensive player anymore. The numbers bear it out. Now, if you follow folks like Kelly Scaletta, guys that I respect a lot, they do a great job every day making the case that it's not just a matter of selective moments. James Harden overall has been a quality defensive player this year. But MVPs, as we learned with Russell Westbrook last year, aren't just judged by the volume of 48 minutes. They're judged by their play in big moments, high leverage situations. And James Harden, certainly he's had the dagger moments on offense this year, the step-back three over Steph Curry, the three that got him to the 60-point triple-double against Orlando. He's had those big moments late in games on offense. Well, folks, it may not get the Sports Center headlines, but he does the same thing defensively as well. In the last two nights, against Steven Adams, against the Greek freak, James Harden was right in the mix making those big defensive plays, and he was a big part of how the Rockets overall had a lot of success. Now, yes, Giannis, he got his 30 points on 60% shooting. That's what he does, a professional scorer. And as he continues to improve his three-point stroke, he's going to eventually become nasty. I'm assuming that's ultimately an inevitability. But outside of Giannis, no one really in the starting lineup even shot 50%. Well, I'll take it back. John Henson shot 60% because he made three of five in his 20 minutes. But you closed out on the other perimeter shooters. The Bucks overall, just nine of 28 from behind the arc, Eric Bledsoe, just two of six. Uh, Tony Snell, one of four. Chris Middleton, three of seven. Jason Terry off the bench. You always feel like there's a hashtag Jason Terry revenge game coming against the Rockets, but folks, they made Jason Terry look like a 40-year-old Jason Terry tonight. The Rockets took advantage of him defensively. Even though it wasn't a statement fourth quarter for the Rockets offensively, Chris Paul, 16 points, 11 assists, 5 rebounds. He was a little sluggish after making 5 of 6 threes last night, just 1 of 6 tonight. But when it mattered down the stretch, the Bucks did get it to 5 with a minute left. But Chris Paul does what he does in isolation, especially against a 40-year-old Jason Terry. He took him right to the rim, got the shot. That put the Rockets up 7 with under a minute to go, and that effectively ice the game, which you would like to see Chris Paul do. So even if Chris didn't have the energy he did last night when he had the 25 points on over 80% from three, well, he did make the play down the stretch. He was the closer Chris Paul that you like to see. And just as Chris picked up James last night, well, I would say that James picked up Chris tonight, especially in the first half, which allowed the Rockets to play from in front. And by virtue of the Rockets playing from in front, that allowed so many things. It conserved their energy for the defensive side of the ball. It also allowed them to control the pace. During this winning streak, they are the slowest uh, pace team in the NBA. And if you're playing in front, then it makes it all the easier not to have to get you out of your comfort zone. And I think that slow pace, besides the Rockets it being their comfort zone over the past 17 games, all wins. Well, also when you have essentially an eight and a half man rotation, really eight in the second half, when Tarek Black barely played, then 
having a lead makes it all the easier to slow it down to where you're comfortable. And there's a lot of individual storylines for the Rockets. We mentioned Chris Paul, 16 and 11. Harden, 16 and 6, 8 of 20 from the field, although he was 7 of 12 in the first half with 21 points. That had a big deal with the Rockets playing in front. Eric Gordon off the bench had 18 points. We'll discuss him in the third segment of our three points recap. But to lead off, it's less about any individual Rocket and more about how the overall effort, they are professionals. They don't take nights off. Even if the legs aren't all the way there, folks, they played good defense in the first half. That's what allowed them to get off to that 12-point lead at the half, and that, in turn, allowed them to control the pace in the second half. And by virtue of playing slower, then it made up for what I thought were some sluggish legs from James Harden and Chris Paul. Now they get a much-needed day off tomorrow, hopefully allowing them to recharge before they get to Toronto against a very, very good Raptors team on Friday night. Hey guys, it's Walker Mail, host of the Locked On Hornets podcast, and being around sports media and a fan of the Hornets for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes it's exploring the sliding doors moments and what-if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run on the one-yard line with the Super Bowl on the line? Or could a coin flip actually have landed Magic in Chicago, Michael in L.A., and made Charles Barkley the first black president? Enter Wondery's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former Sports Center anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week on the podcast, Trey and Kevin will pry open the sliding doors of a different what-if moment from the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall, legacies will change forever, new goats will emerge. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to Alternate Routes early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. So the initial segment, I want to talk about the defense because for the Rockets, everything starts with team play. When you win on night two of a road back-to-back against two winning teams, both in the playoffs, you don't do it individually. I touched a lot on the perimeter defense, also James Harden. can't believe I didn't mention Clint Capella, 10 and 8, just 19 minutes. I would say his legs were a little taxed, also 2 of 10. If there's one thing to keep an eye on with Clint, it's is he getting out of a rhythm from the free throw line again? We saw him go 50% when they started the Hacka last night, followed it by 2 of 10 tonight. Maybe the legs are a little tired. I would lean to that scenario with him playing just 19 minutes. My guess is that D'Antoni sensed that Maybe his juice wasn't all the way there, and the Rockets were better served with those tuck wagon lineups, especially against a smaller Milwaukee team that likes to play pace and space a lot, especially with Greek Freak. Overall, I would just say monitor it with Glenn. It's not worth jumping off a bridge over a two-game sample size, especially with the Rockets winning these games. But aside from the free throws, it is 19 minutes. Again, 10 and 8, you'll take that 19 minutes any day of the week. Didn't even mention him in the first half did want to at least acknowledge him before we move on from the defensive segment, which, again, I'm going to lead with because that, to me, was the storyline on night two of a road back-to-back when the Rockets were able to just kind of grind, workmanlike a win on the road against the Milwaukee team that, while somewhat underachieving at 34-31, and 31, still a lot of talent and certainly seems headed to the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. As far as individual storylines, you have to start with James Harden. I know we mentioned 12 points or excuse me, 21 points in the first half, just five in the second on one of eight shooting. But the seven of 12 in the first half, including a buzzer beater from 30 plus feet at the half, that's massive. And the turnovers, they were cut. Still a little high with five above his season average, but 
certainly was not as careless as he was a night ago, and that's against a Milwaukee team with comparable length to Oklahoma City. There are a lot of long athletes that Milwaukee can throw at James over the course of his time with the Rockets. I wouldn't say they're his kryptonite, but they're the closest thing to kryptonite there is, and that they can make him work. But James in the first half, he made it happen, also got to the line seven times, made all seven of those. That's another underrated key. Both James and Chris tonight made all of their free throws 12 of 12, and so even though you look at the Rockets overall, 18 of 27 from the line, well, again, Capella was 2 of 10. When your guards are 12 of 12, that'll make up for a lot of that, and when you're on tired legs, those types of things, you need to make up for that where you can, and that includes making your free throws, and the Rockets did that, especially in the final minute of the game, to ice this thing and get to 51 and 13, their 17th win in a row, courtesy of the 110 to 99 win in Milwaukee over the Bucks. But James... I'm not going to say it was an MVP game, but when you consider the circumstances, he stepped up when they needed him. I mentioned the buzzer beer at the half. He also had a statement dunk in transition where he showed a level of explosiveness that I'm not convinced was always there this time a year ago. It's an interesting discussion. I Matt Hammond, a guy in sports radio here in Houston I respect, he works at uh, Sports Radio 610, he asked me tonight, does James look more explosive this year than last? And I thought about that. By and large, I would say no. But on rare occasions, yes. And those rare occasions are big because it shows you that he does have an extra gear that he can call upon when he really needs it, such as elevating to the bucket for that poster jam late in the first half or getting enough lift to get off that 30-plus footer in traffic right before the halftime buzzer to push the lead back to 12. Felt like the Bucks. they got a big three from Eric Bledsoe in the corner. They cut to single digits. That felt like a bit of a win for the Bucks at the time. But when Harden hit that three, it was a huge inflection point in the game. It crushed any momentum they had. It was a college-like environment, as Craig Ackerman and Matt Bullard said on the call tonight. They really wanted this game. When you've won as many games as the Rockets have, now 17 in a row, best team in the league at 51-13, and 13, you become every team's Game 7 in the NBA Finals. You're the hunted. That comes with the territory. And you certainly saw that in Milwaukee. It's kind of this... The stereotype, small market town, there's not a whole lot else going on there. So the NBA, it's a big deal. Their fans are very intense, just as you see in Oklahoma City, just as you see in San Antonio, those types of environments. And the Rockets, to control that, certainly we mentioned playing well in the first half, playing from in front, but also getting the plays in key moments, especially going to the break. That can do so much to just deflate the arena. That's what Harden did. But getting back to the larger point, there are just these moments here and there where Harden does seem to have a little more explosion. Would I say he's more athletic than he was a year ago? I'm not sure I'd say that. He is 30, uh, 28 now, excuse me. He, he does have a lot of mileage, especially in Houston, on his legs. I'm not sure it's fair to expect him to gain athleticism, no matter how much weight he might drop. We did hear he dropped a little bit in the offseason or level of fitness. He has countering, increasing mileage, the normal aging curve. That's there. But what I think is important for James, and it ties into the presence of Chris Paul and this incredibly deep Rockets roster that wasn't there a year ago, he's not having to empty his tank every night. What happened in Oklahoma City last night for him with the 10 turnovers, if that was last year, best case, the Rockets would have been close going down to the wire, and he would have had to give it everything he had to where he truly would have been running on empty tonight and probably not even been able to give you the 21 points on 7 of 12 in the first half. This year, he didn't have to do that. Chris Paul had the big game last night. He picked up for James, as we said. And, of course, tonight, James picked up for Chris a little bit until Chris did make plays 
uh, in the final couple of minutes of the game, which were nice when it seemed like James James's tank was finally on empty, to continue that analogy. But I think what we've seen from James this year, the end of the first half was a microcosm, but you can see it from time to time. I don't know if overall he's more athletic than he was a year ago, but he has this burst from time to time, this way to elevate in a way that I'm not sure he did a season ago. And I think a lot of that is because certainly the Rockets are still asking a lot of him. He's the MVP frontrunner for a reason, but you're not asking just the extreme otherworldly amount that you were a year ago when by this point in the year you were playing an eight-man rotation, you were about to be down to seven once the Nay injury happened in the playoffs and no other consistent difference maker after James. It's still a lot to ask of James, and especially on a back-to-back scenario, it's not like he's going to be not tired. It's not a night and day difference. But in my opinion, it's a little difference. And hopefully you see it more in the playoffs because in the playoffs you have no back-to-backs. The games are more spaced out. I'm not saying you're going to see just a night and day different James Harden from his athleticism. But in key moments, it feels like to me this year that James has an extra gear that he can reach that I'm not sure was the case last year. And don't be wrong, he was still damn good. But he had to do everything. He had to empty his tank every night to beat that theme into the ground. I'm not sure he quite has to do it to the same extent this year, which allows him, when there are key inflection points in a game, to have that big poster dunk in transition, to make that 30-foot plus three in traffic at the gun, to jump the passing lanes and have the big steals at key moments in the fourth quarter. I'm not going to say those never happened last year, but there does seem to be a tiny bit more left, and I think the overall depth of the Rockets. We've talked a lot about the depth helping guys like Trevor Reza, P.J. Tucker, Eric Gordon, your role players. Well, folks, I think there's growth from James Harden as well. There's a little bit extra that he has this year. And you wouldn't think it looking at the box score. Again, 40% shooting for the game, just one of eight in the second half. I understand that. But we did see at key moments what we saw in Oklahoma City, certainly on the defensive end of the fourth quarter. But I would even say for all the heat that James got for the 10 turners of Oklahoma City, what turned that game was the stretch late in the second quarter where the Rockets went from roughly even to up double digits and dominating. That was James just abusing Carmelo Anthony on the switches, and whenever Oklahoma City got a second man to him, finding the open man on the pass, he did have 11 assists. And it just feels like to me that when there's a key moment in a game, when there's a point that the Rockets are able to take control, or if momentum's kind of on the fence, could go either way, James Harden is owning those moments. We've talked a lot about the clutch performance. James and Chris have the best clutch rating in the NBA, despite having the fewest clutch minutes, they still have the most positive uh, point differential. That's a great story from Tim McMahon over at ESPN, if you haven't already read it from earlier this week. We discussed it in clutch play, which is late in the last five minutes. Fortunately, the Rockets, the Boston game is the only one they've actually trailed in the 17-game winning streak going to the fourth quarter. Fortunately, they played from in front. That's a big theme. Their defense allowed them to do that tonight, as we discussed in the first segment. But in addition to owning the clutch moments as defined late in the game, there are certain clutch moments within a game as well in the first two and three quarters. And it's tough to measure. It's one of those intangible things because it's just a gut feel as a game is playing out. But in my opinion, tonight, and also last night in Oklahoma City, late in the second quarter, going into the half, those are the kind of plays, moments, where it could have gone either way, especially in a gym that's ready to explode. 
and James Harden made the plays to keep the Rockets in control in both of those games. Are they defined as clutch? Probably not by how the metrics define clutch, but in reality, they are. And to go a step beyond that, I think it's because he's got an extra gear to him that maybe he didn't have this time a year ago. And some folks are going to ask, well, why didn't he use that in the fourth quarter the last two nights when he hasn't really been that efficient offensively? And my answer to that would be, well, they, by and large, went up by double digits most of those moments. Those are not really the clutch moments. Even if it's the fourth quarter, you're up by double digits. I'm not really going to say that's clutch. When the game has really been in the balance, James Harden has had something extra, even in this road back-to-back scenario. And there's a lot of things to marvel at with James this year. Again, he's the MVP frontrunner. Could even make a run at being only the second player in NBA history to win it unanimously. We'll have to wait and see. Virtually a foregone conclusion that he's going to win it, period. But as much as we've marveled at the overall numbers that he puts up, over 30 points and nearly 10 assists per game, the clutch performance, all those things, think about the key inflection points too. Think about the extra lift he has. Just an otherworldly season from James. And even on a night where the box score looks a little pedestrian, 26 points, 6 assists, 5 boards, 40% shooting. If you look closely... There were still some key moments from James on both ends of the court, offense and defense, in this 110-99 win in Milwaukee on Wednesday night, the 17th in a row for the Rockets, and pushing them to 51-13 and on the year. Hi, I'm Jake from Locked On. There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but really the first words you want to say are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And trust me, as someone named Jake, that is a fact. That's the phrase that will help you feel good knowing that you have people who could help you find the right coverage for the things you want to protect. Insurance doesn't need to be complicated with a State Farm agent. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits you because your situation is unique. And State Farm is there to help you feel supported with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. And when you need ways to get help, don't yell or be angry because State Farm gives you options there too, in person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com or their award-winning app. State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Now, the final segment I mentioned earlier, Eric Gordon, 18 points off the bench, six rebounds plus nine in his 33 minutes. Just giving them those 33 minutes was a big deal with Joe Johnson, Ryan Anderson, so many bodies out. And with Nene out, there's a trickle-down effect because they don't really trust Tarek Black to play the full 15 to 20 backup center minutes. Then you're going to play P.J. Tucker more at the five, more tuck wagon lineups, which means having to extend your forwards more. So Eric Gordon may be able to fill 33 minutes. That's a big deal in and of itself. Luke Baumute also went 30. Also, a shout-out to Gerald Green. He hasn't played a lot lately, and it, just as we said James Harden, the box score might lie a little bit. Gerald Green, 7 points, 30% shooting, just 1 of 5 from 3. It's actually a plus 4 in his 13 minutes. It was more than that early on. His energy was infectious, and it was a big part early in the game. Eric Gordon, Gerald Green, the Rockets owning those minutes early in the second quarter, letting the Rockets play in front, which is so critical on night 2 of a road back-to-back when you know the second half is probably going to be when your legs start to tire the most. But Eric... Sure, he made the threes, and in addition to being 6 or 12 overall, he was 4 of 8 from behind the arc. What's really exciting about Eric, you guys have heard me say over and over here at Locked on Rockets, he's the variable. Also, Clint Capella, 
you know what you're getting in terms of competing with the Warriors. Rockets do stay a game up. And if you want more on the Rockets-Warriors comparison, tune into segment three of last night's show, the Oklahoma City recap. We discussed the Rockets and Warriors, the road ahead, what the Rockets have to do to stay in front of the Warriors. Well, long term, in terms of not just holding off the regular season, but taking four of seven, whether you have home court or don't, in the playoffs, it's a Herculean effort because they have four all-star level players. You have James Harden and Chris Paul. Your two variables for the Rockets are Eric Gordon and Clint Capella. And on the balance of this year, even if they don't have the all-star names of Clay Thompson and Draymond Green, they have given you comparable production. Eric is the one that's teetered a little bit. We've discussed his shooting percentage, which at one point from three was in the 33s. Now it's back over 34 because he's had a very strong week. We'll talk about that in a moment. Clint Capella's been more consistent. Eric Gordon, I would say generally the net rating's been there. He's also been a positive difference maker off the dribble. He's had moments defensively, and especially when either Chris or James has been out, he's proven an ability to elevate his game, which has been very useful this year, helping the Rockets grind out wins when they're not nearly at full strength, especially when the Stars are out. But when the Rockets play the Warriors, they can't just have James and Chris. They've got to have other guys step up as well. And while you have a lot of quality role players, in terms of actually elevating your game to another level... Eric Gordon and Clint Capella, they're the best candidates. Clint Capella, he's more proven. He's been consistent. Eric's been fairly consistent being an overall quality player. The three-point shot hasn't. Well, since his return last Wednesday, remember, before the All-Star break, he missed four games, not consecutively, but varied between first a back issue, then he bumped knees, had a knee bruise, then coming off the All-Star break, he had food poisoning, dropped 10 pounds, Well, he returned last Wednesday in Los Angeles against the Clippers. In the four games since, all wins for the Rockets, Eric Gordon is shooting 24 of 50 from the field and 19 of 39 from three. That's 50% overall and 49%, almost 50% from behind the arc. That is incredible efficiency. Now, do I expect that to continue? Of course not. He's a guard. Eventually, he's going to come down to earth a little bit. But if he comes down to earth, it's still a lot better than what we said at the All-Star break when we're looking at him in the low 33s in terms of his three-point shooting percentage and saying, hey, is this guy still the elite shooter that you're probably going to need him to be when you're going up against the Warriors and trying to take four out of seven? Now, sample size, relatively small. We're talking about half of one season, also because the Rockets, especially Eric, take such a high volume of threes with how they're currently playing, you can skew the numbers kind of the other way. Even though it's a small sample size, small, you know, kind of half of one season, you can also look at it the other way. It's kind of a large sample size and that he's not being as selective, and that's by design, as a normal shooter would be. By and large, he's close to a 38% career shooter. My guess is he settles closer to that. But you can say all the things in the world about on paper this is what should happen, And then it's another thing to actually see it play out. And beyond just sample size evening out, I think the other thing you kind of hang your hat on if you're a Rockets fan is saying that even though Eric struggled, he has had a few nagging things. The back, the knee, there's little bumps. So what happens if you get him some time off? And it kind of worked out well between the All-Star break, which they had the eight days off, and then the food poison. Not saying you ever want to get food poisoning. (laughs) It's not fun, but... They did have two straight weeks off, Eric did, because of those kind of things coming together. And since then, boy, his efficiency has been huge. And it's been a huge part of how the Rockets, despite the sudden wave of minor injuries, Ryan Anderson, Joe Johnson being ill, uh, Brandon Wright and Nene both out, and they not really injured, just night two of a road back-to-back. 
Well, Eric Gordon playing so well is a big part of how the Rockets supposed to have this 12-man rotation. Well, not 12-man rotation, but 12 men that theoretically could be in your rotation. 12 deep, I should say. Well, the Rockets haven't been 12 deep over the past week. Things happen, but because Eric Gordon has been so good, you haven't even noticed it, even with a relatively tough schedule. So salute to Eric. Still a long way to go, but it's not just tonight. And by the way, Eric also had six rebounds. There were a couple of plays in the fourth quarter. We mentioned the Rockets having tired legs earlier. They got some rebounds, and a couple of them were just tip balls from James Harden and Eric Gordon, where it could have gone anywhere, just 50-50 balls, but they were able to kind of, we mentioned the extra gear with James Harden. Eric Gordon had it as well. He was spry late in the game and either got the rebound himself or tipped it to someone who did. And the Rockets getting that 50-50 balls, despite those tired legs, that was how they were able to get the win, despite scoring just 23 points, relatively inefficient for them by their standards down the stretch in the fourth quarter. So for Eric, certainly the 18-6 and six on 50% shooting and 50% from the line of the arc, that's great in of itself. He got the Rockets a win in Milwaukee that I said going into this was going to be tough no matter what. But to combine it with a week-long stretch, now four games at 50% overall, 49% behind the arc, that's, in my opinion, a tremendous sign for the Rockets, for this fan base, that in addition to all the other positive things the Rockets have going on, Eric Gordon seems to be rounding back into form as well. And when he's right, yeah, he's right up there with Clint Capella as far as the third most important figure on this team in terms of upward mobility and what they can do when it comes to actually taking four games out of seven from the likes of Golden State once you get in to late May and June. Final point before we close off, the Rockets are now 7-0 and since the All-Star break. Think about it. I know they haven't picked up a game on Golden State because the Warriors haven't lost either, although the Warriors had a weaker schedule. Fortunately, it's about to get tougher. They got at Portland, San Antonio coming up, so it's not like the Warriors can have an easy road forever. But the Warriors had an easier part of their schedule. I know you think, well, you'd like the Rockets to be up more than the game, although the Rockets do have the tiebreaker. So as I said last night, the Warriors actually have to outplay the Rockets by two games over the last 18. That's a lot harder than you might think. But despite the Warriors having an easy schedule, look at it this way. The Warriors haven't lost a game. They've had the easy part of their schedule. And they still have not gained anything, despite the Rockets having seven games in a row out of the All-Star break, all against winning teams, most on the road. I refer to it as an eight-game hell stretch coming out of the break, and the Rockets are 7-0. They could lose in Toronto on Friday night, other than the Rockets and Warriors, clearly the best team in the NBA, and they'd still finish 7-1 and in position for home court throughout if the season ended that night. That's how phenomenal this is. So yes, this is a big game individually, but when you're on a 17-game winning streak, it's not just about any one game, it's about the totality. And the Rockets, again, 17 in a row, 51-13 and 13 overall, just remarkable. This eight-game stretch out of the break, I would have been pleased with six and two, even five and three. I would have said, okay, that's understandable, and maybe they still make a run of the Warriors when the schedule eases up. To be seven and zero and a shot to go eight and zero, that's just otherworldly. That's what these Rockets are doing. Don't know how to say any better than that. So I think that's an appropriate point to leave off this podcast. If you want any more regular analysis before Friday night's big game between the Rockets and Raptors, best place to do it is on Twitter. I'm at Ben Dubose. The show is at Locked on Rockets. Also Locked on Rockets at gmail.com. That's our email. Facebook.com slash Locked on Rockets. That's our Facebook. And LockedOnRockets.com. That's our website. All ways you can interact with me, ask me questions about the team, happy to answer them, make suggestions for the show, inquire about how to become a potential advertiser. With the Rockets playing this well, we're getting a ton of new listeners. So if we can help out your business, I'd certainly love to do that. Anything we can do to help this for you from either a sports 
advocation or a business standpoint, do not hesitate to reach out. We want to be your source for the Houston Rockets community, the diehards. We're there for you every day. That's what we do here at Locked on Rockets. And so if we can make it better in any way, Twitter, Facebook, email, the website, don't hesitate to reach out. I would love to hear from you. Once again, a happy final for Milwaukee Wednesday night. Rockets 110, Bucks 99. Rockets now 51 and 13 on the season. Winners of an NBA best 17 consecutive games. Don't know how to end it any more positively than that. So, folks, let's leave it right there. Once again, this is Locked on Rockets. I'm Ben DuBose. Thanks to you guys for listening, and we'll be talking again in just a couple of days when the Rockets take on the Eastern Conference leading Toronto Raptors on Friday night from Toronto. For now, have a good evening. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked on podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.